You know, it's, it's not often that we just have a single instrument on stage, and I, I commend Dave. He wanted to give the rest of the band the day off since there's only going to be, you know, uh, there'll be three songs. But it's also a powerful reminder that usually we, we think about ourselves as Christians as like part of the church, but it's a powerful reminder that we're also Christians day by day. We have a daily walk with Christ. Now, some of you are all about that, and you're a little suspect of the church. Um, we're going to address that balance between the each of us is a Christian and the all of us are a Christian. Because I think depending on kind of what our worldview was growing up or how we, uh, are, the church that we were a part of, it sometimes is hard um, to keep those things straight. So, um, I am going to take control of our somewhat persnickety iPad. All right, there we go. <laughs> um, so, we are starting today, the second Sunday in our series, A Monitor is Coming. I'm going to be able to see pretty soon. For the love of God, please stop. In last week, we talked about please stop labeling people. Please stop putting people in categories. It was a biblical look at the slippery slope that we Christians go down when we start to settle for labels instead of really treasuring the lives of who people are. And uh, the problem with slippery slope is that people expect Christians to be less slippery on the slope, right? I mean, if people who don't call themselves Jesus followers, if they're prejudiced or bigoted or call people names or get all antsy on social media and that sort of stuff, if they're not Christians, I mean, progressive or liberal, or progressive or conservative Christians, you know, that's up to them. But those of us who call ourselves Christians, Christ followers, we have a, we have a more sacred obligation. And the problem is not only other Christians, but sometimes the us Christians. We get in this place, especially in political seasons like, like now, where we sometimes aren't our best. So that, that first series, that first sermon last week, was about please stop labeling people for the love of God. It talked about the tribal urge to put labels on other people, and honestly, the resignation that each of us feel when we put labels on ourselves. And if uh, you remember, last week I was using um, uh, four examples from the 2018 movie Green Book. I mean, how could you forget? There were four clips. It was a it was a kind of cinematographic. It was a it was a movie-filled sermon. All right, there we go. <laughs> Um, and um, at the climax of the movie that I used for the end of the message, I showed this scene. Um, if you want a spoiler, you can either go back and look at last week's message or just watch the, the, the movie. Um, I showed this final scene, which this lovely family, who was kind of so used to being who they were, who they were for each other, how startled they are when there's a knock on the door, and it's somebody who's not like them. In that moment of being startled and not knowing what to do, they expose the tensions that even those of us who want to serve Jesus, who want to love Jesus, who want to show Jesus rightly to the world, expose the tensions that we sometimes feel to bring the radical love of Jesus into a world of families, friends, and foreigners even. So hearts that are quick to label and make judgments instead of loving and pointing to Jesus. Now, if the Green Book hadn't 
been, in my opinion, such a great way to knit last week's sermon together, I would have used another shorter video clip that um, I thought would help get the message started. But since I didn't use it last week, I'm going to use it now. So take a look. All right. All right. All right. Like one second or like long enough for a joke second or what? <laughs> All right. Well, let me tell you something about, let me tell you, tell you a little bit more about the retreat because, yeah, I'm like, ah, oh, my joke delivery, I don't know what's on behind me. We'll, we'll, we'll save that. Um, the retreat last night was fantastic. Um, Heather and her team, did, oh, and Kim and Heather, uh, Kim's out of town, but Heather, um, is the point person did a great job on that. Um, and like Heather invited you, this is the kind of thing that not only your kids are invited to at any age, but is the kind of thing where sometimes kids want to come back and do it because they love stomping on the cold grapes. <laughs> um, and even more because they get to experience with their moms and dads, they get to experience what it is to grow up in the family of faith. And there's a lot of reasons that the family of faith is important. Um, I'm going to here take you down a little bit farther here. Um, one of the things that happens in the family of faith is that not only parents model for their kids, but we model for other people's kids. Whether you've got children or not, whether they're of school... <laughs> go, no, go ahead, go ahead. Your 
So if you're like me, you kind of you didn't see that coming, right? Um, you kind of mislabeled people, which we all do. And, and that's, that's the kind of tie-in for last week. The, the tie-in that I want to segue to this week, um, and we don't want to miss the main message, obviously, either church, that it's a good, holy idea to invite friends or even non-friends, even neighbors that you barely know and who avoid you a lot. <laughs> um, but once, once you invite somebody, and then, of course, invite them out to lunch afterwards so it doesn't feel like you're just dragging them to church, um, it's important for the rest of us, the all of us, that when we welcome folks, we welcome them into a family of Christ, regardless of what labels we think they might carry, and allow them to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who not only died for our sins, but doesn't see us as a broken, shameful, sinful person. He, he sees us as a beloved child of God. And then they get to see it lived out by people who are doing church, serving outside the community, outside the church in the community, and how we love each other inside. All of that, all that not only warms people's hearts toward Jesus, but I, I'm convinced that it will warm people's behavior and make people more Christ-like in how we behave outside in this increasingly easily aggravated, easily, easily angered nation of ours. And actually, that's kind of the heart of our message today. It's a huge takeaway from a tiny few verses in Colossians 3. Now, I spent all last week on Colossians 1 through 11, just one verse today. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy and kindness. So yes, today's message is, for the love of God, be holy and be kind. Now, this was uh, just graphic arts from, uh, well, wherever Chris gets cool graphic arts. Um, but my challenge to you is try to figure out Give labels to the two people on the way home, not currently. Give labels to the people on the way home that you think uh, these two might be representing. But my goal here is for us to consider those words pretty tightly. You see, when we did last week's message, I was teaching kind of a deep dive through the context and the, and the meaning of Scripture in those first 11 verses. But it kind of culminated in this. In this new life that we have, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Some of you are like, didn't, didn't Paul also write male or female? Well, that's in other epistles. This is just what we have here um, in Colossians, but he sure did. He sure did write that in a lot of places elsewhere. So what I pick up from this, my friends, is that Paul is saying regardless of the categories that you inhabit, or the ones the world has told you that you are, you really have a more true and more real identity. And that's this. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. So our identity, Paul says, is the fact that we let, we're the host, we're the host organism for Jesus to live in us and change our lives with his love. Now what I want you to notice here is that um, at the end of the sentence there, it doesn't say he lives in each of us. The idea that we need Jesus to live in each of us, that's kind of a, a more modern understanding of the faith. And I certainly believe it, and Jesus longs to live inside of each of us. But in the early church, where they had the passion to change lives, and they did, and the Holy Spirit was filling them, it wasn't in each of us, it was in all of us. In other words, we as a church body, we as a, as a church, we as a 
community, and honestly, if we're trying to inject some Christian values, and if we as a country have got to live like Christ is inside of us, with Christ in his, and his labels, not, not the world's labels, dwelling in each of us. So Paul doesn't say each of us because our faith isn't only a private one. I mean, it needs also to be a private one. We need to accept Jesus. We need to be able to say like each of these children did, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But in the epistles in the Bible, the most of the scripture in the New Testament points to not the individual faith, although obviously it's in there too, but to the all of us together faith. And I think that if we if we accept that Jesus longs for us to live in community as his faithful, then we start to have a responsibility for how we treat the community. I mean, obviously, your fellow friends and, and family neighbors in the church, but the community outside of us, the community that looks at your Facebook posts, the community that overhears the jokes you might tell over the table in the cafeteria or out in a restaurant, that's the community that we are all responsible to because it's all of us, not just each of us. Anyway, we're going to learn more this week that there's more tips to being the body of Christ together, whether that's the body of Christ in these walls, the body of Christ out doing mission, changing lives out with his love outside, or being the body of Christ that's trying to be a light to the nations, especially when things feel more political. So now what I want to do is I want to take a look at the verses that Paul has um, written for us. But before we do that, um, I need a couple of volunteers. And the volunteers, I'm coming down to get, you know, one of my, what every pastor has in their briefcase, set of cards. I need two volunteers. Um, one just has to be the kind of silent type who's willing to hold a deck of cards. I mean, like, spread. And another person who's willing to be a little bit more interviewed after they take a card. So, what am I looking at? A room full of hands. Not, for those of you online, there's not a single hand going up in here. <laughs> but I won't, uh, I won't trap you in a tough question. I will just ask you. All right, I see Sean. Thank you very much. I think that's, yeah. Hi. <laughs> Sean O'Donnell, one of my favorite Irishmen. <laughs> You know, there were like two Irish guys on Saturday Night Live last night. Really? Yeah. You know, That's my bedtime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, have, uh, we, have young, we have young adults at home, so it's never bedtime in our home. <laughs> All right. Who, uh, who else could I get? Um, is, that, is that you raising your hand, Andrea? Or you're pointing at your husband, Dan? How about we do this one of each gender? You get up here, Andrea. Thanks. So... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you these cards. Can you just shuffle them on the altar? Sure. Forgive me, Lord. Um, yeah. She's going to do one shuffle. These are brand new. It's going to they are brand new. I had my used cards, but I don't know what to do with them. Um, we were playing a game back in the children's department before service. All right. So what I'm going to ask is for you, Andrea to draw a card from Sean's hand. This isn't, this isn't a trick. I'm not going to impress you with any sort of... This is a theological metaphor. Far less interesting, but more deeply important. All right, come on up, Andrea. All right. So she can't... Yeah. So she's going to 
All right. And just for the, even though I'm not going to do anything with it, just what is it? Because we're all dying to know. A three of hearts. All right. So kind of a low-ranking card in the, in the card category division. Well, so here's what, I wanna, here's what I wanna ask. I want you to think about, does this card have a personality? And if it has a personality, how do you think the card feels about getting picked? Can, can you like yell, because I didn't tell the sound team I needed a mic? I think the three of hearts is happy. Okay. And being selected made it feel special. Nice, happy card, felt special for being selected. Um, do you think it feels lucky? Yeah. Lucky, okay, do you think it feels like it deserved this? Probably not. All right, all right, that's fair, <laughs> that's fair. How do you think, uh, draw another card. Okay. What do you got there? Eight of spades. Eight of spades, so we're still in the number category, we're not like, in the in the one percent here, right? With, but how do you think the eight of spades then feels about the three of hearts? Um, equal to. Equal to, but you know, it's got a label that's like five digits higher. Superior. Superior, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, and did you feel like God? I mean, do these cards feel like God was using their talents <laughs> when you picked these? Or was it kind of random? <laughs> What's that? Definitely. Definitely. God's using your talents to be very patient with this uh, somewhat drawn-out metaphor. <laughs> well, here's what I wanted to say. I want to suggest that you guys appropriately were pretty emotionally uninvolved, right? You've got God holding out the cards, and you've got your kind of the angel that's helping people get their cards picked. Um, but, but how would it feel, you guys, if that's how God viewed us. What if God just put out the cards and said to the Holy Spirit, oh man, look, I need a football coach in uh, mission. I need a middle school volunteer over at Cobb Prairie. I need somebody to take old Mrs. Edwards to church on Sunday. And then you just picked random three out and handed them. Does that seem like God put a lot of energy into that decision? No. And the reason I wanted to, to slow the message down and just have you think about the cards is that God is, not, God is not a dealer of cards and then you get what you get. And then you're lucky to play the hand as best you can. I can take these back now. You guys, right. let me just say thank you to Andrea Goodhope and Sean O'Donnell. And I did tease Sean about being Irish, but I mean, he's the real deal. They're from Boston. He flies back for uh, Patriots games. And um, you're not a Notre Dame fan, though, too, are you? No. Okay, good. That would just be too much for a pastor. <laughs> All right. Um, that's not how God behaves. Let's look at what Paul has to say about how God behaves. God says, since, or Paul says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Okay, God chose you to be the holy people he loves. That suggests a couple things. Number one, it suggests that we were chosen by God, not randomly out of the deck. We were chosen by God for a purpose. He knows what's behind the card. He knows what our ranking in society is. He knows whether we look like a, look like a club or look like a heart or have lots of diamonds. He knows all those things. But he chooses us and he chooses us not just in spite of who we are, but precisely because of who we are. 
He sees us in the holy person way, not just the holy people way. And that's important because holy people, I'll take you back a verse, holy people is what we're called. But a holy people is made up of holy persons. And Jesus chooses us to be used for that sort of reason. So we have chosen by God with a purpose, and we are holy. Now, how many of you grew up knowing somebody who was like super holy, or you thought, oh my gosh, they're so holy? If you were in a Catholic school, that probably happened all the time, right? Um, but, but even not, if there, was, if there was a saint in your church or someone who was really saintly, can you think of anybody that is a younger person you would have thought, they seem really holy? If that's the case, you're, you were half right. <laughs> Holiness is an attribute that we gain by following Jesus through the Holy Spirit more closely. But the word holy really means set apart. It means you're, you're pulled out of the regular to be and do something different. So chosen means God chose you with intention, not just dealt you to life's card table. But holy means he set apart set you apart to be with a group of others who are set apart for a reason. And then finally, he calls us beloved. Not in spite of our imperfect selves, not in spite of all our sins, but because of our perfect spirit of the Lord inside of us. Because of his perfect love, he loves us and calls us beloved. And if you're into the kind of the deep dive in Greek, um, beloved in the Koine, which means the, the New Testament style of Greek, the Koine is agapemenoi. <laughs> and if you know the three types of Greek love, what, what's the root word of agapemenoi? <laughs> Agape, which is, as we know, the in spite of, not because of love. In fact, Agape, I'm going to skip with the verb. Agape is God's in spite of love, and that and the two that are usually set out opposed to that are eros and philia, romantic love and brotherly, fraternal love of philia. There's another one, sturge, but that's, not, that's kind of a minor player. But those are because of loves. I love my wife because we had this experience together, because she loved me first, because she's beautiful. All those are because of things. And so is fraternal love. I love my brothers. I love my family because they're mine. Right? I mean, there's a because of. But agape love, this agapebenoi, is God's in spite of love. No matter what you think about yourself, God thinks much better. Now, when you do these kind of word searches, I mean, if this kind of tickles your fancy, just be careful not to use, um, like, just regular translating apps because they don't sometimes make a difference. They don't show a difference between ancient Greek or Koine Greek and modern Greek. For instance, I'm telling you that agapemenoi means beloved, but if you ask Google Translate, <laughs> it means somebody's after your butt. <laughs> Abducted, right? So anyway, just pay attention or keep coming to church, right? Then you learn the proper stuff. <laughs> um, but then the second part of the verse says this, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy and kindness. Now, translation um, uh, fans will appreciate that in the King James Version, it does not say tender-hearted mercy, but the much more awkward bowels of mercy. 
So um, for some reason, they thought it would be, in the modern English, a little bit more inspiring um, not to tell you that you've been given bowels of mercy, but rather just a tender heart. So you're welcome to modern translators. What, um, what, I, what, what all this sums up, I think, is that what God, has, what God is telling us is that from the dawn of our lives, from the dawn of your life, God has sung into your mother's womb the promise of his love, this in spite of agape love. He's given you amazing gifts under the label of grace. We don't all have the same gifts, but we have them for the same reason, that despite our imperfections and because of his love, he's going to give us gifts that he wants us to use, not just for our sake and for our family's sake, but for the church's sake and the sake of the world. And then he gives us this invitation not to wake up every day feeling bad about ourselves or dour because we can't get rid of the, the regret or the guilt or the shame. We, we wake up feeling joyful in the morning. And we learn to, we learn to play again like children in the morning. We, well, not that, not that every child wakes up totally in a good mood, but, but certainly more often than we who are older. God is, God is making us a promise. These things of love and grace and a lifetime of joy. If we put on the clothe, the clothing of tender-hearted mercy and kindness. I borrowed the Be Kind sweatshirt from Chris because tender-hearted mercy is a little bit, in the, especially the bowels part, a little bit confusing. But everybody knows what kind means. And especially in the season when it's easy to be unkind from behind a computer screen or maybe in a big march or rally. It's way more important that God's people are kind when we're out in God's world. But we need practice time. We need practice time with the new labels that God gives us of chosen, holy, and beloved. And while that happens, parents, you are with your children. Grandparents, you are with your grandchildren. Those of us who aren't parents, you are, you are doing something supportive in the community, maybe not even with children, but with, with adults whom you are investing in. All of that is important in the real world, but this, this space, the church of Jesus Christ, is the laboratory where that can all happen. And we need practice time with God's new labels in this lab. I want to show you a little video now of the, the kids did a, a choreographed, if you will, recitation of the Lord's Prayer. But I didn't film that. That's, another, that's for another day. I just filmed the rehearsal. So I want you to see the rehearsal. It's about a minute long. And think about what you see the parents there doing. Is you see the parents helping their children put on the clothing of Christ. Can we do Trespasses against us. 
and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Amen. Nice! Let's hear it for the rehearsal round! Woo! All right. Are you Good ready job, to go? <laughs> Sorry about my loud expression there, yeah. Um, so it doesn't happen just in events like this. It, it kind of happens all through the, the, fam, the church family's life. Um, I just picked a random photo of uh, one of our confirmands several years ago. This is Micah Reeves. But we have these experiences in confirmation where they confirm the promises that, that God gave them at their baptism. They confirm them again as young adults. So I just thought I'd show you that. Um, that's part of the, not only the children's and family ministry, but, but what we, in the youth ministry, um, but what we value as a church. And, and it kind of ties into something that you will see if you saw the um, American Doll Jeep on the north entry of the lobby. Um, you know, we are, we are trying to show a church that's, that's not label-devoted, that, that puts on new clothes of Christ, kindness, loving-kindness, tender-hearted mercy. We want to show that to the community, and every year we do that, we do it super well. That fall fest that we do is awesome, but there's a reason I'm showing you this graphic. So our fall fest has a ton of people signed up, but we need 40 trunks, and we have nine signed up. Now, you can tell people that Jesus loves them, but if there's nowhere to get a Snicker bar, they're like, I'm not sure. <laughs> so um, it's, at the, it's on the um, last, last weekend of the month. If you would be willing to sign up for that, there's more information in your bulletin. Um, we could use a few more trunks, and we could like, knock off a few of those things on the graphic. So, so what, am I trying to, what am I trying to say here as we close? I want to say that our church, as a, all of us, will bear more fruit, and our world, as a super all of us, will have more peace. And your family will have more joy, and you will have more purpose. If we see ourselves as a group of chosen, holy, and beloved people, if we help each other remove the negative labels that we give to others, and that means you can say, hey, was that, you think that was the best way to say that to that guy? Maybe give him a suggestion. Give your friend a suggestion if they say something that's kind of hurtful. And then... We go on. If you remove the negative labels and demanding expe expectations you give to yourself. You know, most people that label other people feel labeled themselves. Most people that judge other people do that because they've spent a lifetime of feeling judged and judging themselves. So it starts, it starts with our hearts. And if you see yourself as a person of peace, the kind of person who wants to follow Jesus, and you decide that you want to live each day and lay down each night confident in God's approval and delight, your children will pick up that theology too. And as the, as the, as the days dawn and the sunsets come, they will be able to look back at every day and think to themselves, I serve the loving God, creator of heaven and earth. I wasn't perfect but I was his. And we did something today great together. Whether that's parenting or building a monument, 
whether that's, whether that's teaching your child how to say she's sorry or, or teaching a, a class of high-powered executives at work. Whatever it is, people of peace are the people who will change the world. And I invite you to change your heart, to consider what could I be, how could I be more peaceful, how could that rub off on my family, how could I be part of a movement in my church to change lives with Jesus' love, beginning with my own. Amen.